Well, I come before you, and uh, as we um, have talked about, we're actually going to be in Micah for a little bit. But when was the last time you um, waited, like you literally waited in expectation? I remember the last time that I waited in expectation um, back in my childhood. It was probably back when I was still collecting baseball cards when I was in ninth grade, or no, maybe, maybe younger than that, maybe seventh grade. And my, mo- my parents actually gave me this coveted 1992 Upper Deck uh, box of unopened packs of baseball cards. And these cards were just like gold to me. And I was about to just devour them all and open it all up. And my mom stopped me and she said, nope, you're going to actually not open it up like right now. You're going to open it up in the process of this entire year. One pack per week <laughs> It was like 36 packs, and I was like, that's the worst thing that could have ever happened to me <laughs> at a seventh grader trying just to get at some baseball cards. But, you know, every single week as it came near to the time I was able to, to grab and just to tear open that pack of baseball cards, it really reminded me of the expectation and the value of waiting. And I think in our culture you know, especially when it comes to times like this in which there's a bum rush to get ahead and make sure we get all of our Black Friday deals and to make sure that we get into our, you know, our Cyber Monday meals, uh, not meals, but our, our, our deals, and, and we're shopping and we're just rushing and making sure that we're uh, getting gifts for everyone. There is just not time for us to really just be and to remember Christ. And I remember there was a time in which early on in our marriage, Christine and I had just come back from a family dinner and I had literally come back and I had this emptiness in my heart. The sense of that, I like Christmas happened to me and I didn't spend time to stir my affections for Jesus Christ. And it was such an empty feeling and I told Christine, never again, I do not want to approach Christmas with such lightness and with such just, just a, a casual nature. I want to be able to spend time with Jesus and understand that he is my highest affection, my highest love. And, and that next year, I remember going through um, a book, uh, one book other than the Bible has not stirred my affections other than Nancy Guthrie's book, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is, she edited this book, but prior to editing it, she had read all these Advent devotionals and, and Christmas things that left her dull and just uninspired. And nothing had just taken my thoughts and overtake my, overtook my affections other than um, reading through that book and then eventually going through family Advent um, devotionals and, and going through that in this um, season. And as, as easy as it could be when you're going through all these uh, seasons and as you're going through this Advent devotional, it's so easy that you put up your Advent calendar and you put up your Christmas tree and you read God's Word every night and you feel full, but your life is just full of still joylessness and pain and suffering and struggle. You know, when, when you hear 89.3 KSBJ and they're going on the Christmas songs and you hear these songs of, uh, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year and gay happy greetings and uh, be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? I wish that was true, but that's not. <laughs> That's not reality, because Christmas is full of grittiness, 
It's full of pain. It's full of relieving the past. It's full of coming together with family that sometimes you may not want to be together at the moment with. It's, it's a time of rehashing old family conflicts. It's a time maybe of lose, uh, missing a loved one. And as you look at the world today, it is matched on with the suffering that we do see in this world. This, the pain and the suffering of, uh, of sicknesses, of wars in Ethiopia and protests in Burkina Faso. And uh, we just heard of the Omicron um, you know, variant that, that's popping up and now it's spreading all over the place. And you just kind of add that to the season. This season is pretty dark. How can it just be the most wonderful time of the year when all the world and all the news is telling us that we live in a very dark world? Well, that's where Advent comes in. Because as Paul says, that he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing, that there is a mingling of bitterness and joy, of happiness and pain. And, and that's going to be the reality of this world that I'm sorry that other religions do not have a handle on and that we can't just eradicate suffering or ignore suffering and pretend that that doesn't happen. But we live in a world fraught with injustice and oppression and pain and suffering. And that's where I think I had to go back and just relive the time in which Israel was waiting and longing for expectation for their Messiah in the midst of darkness in the midst of pain and in the midst of waiting and longing. I need to step back into the sandals um, of Israel. As they groaned, as they literally yearned for the Messiah, as they literally just were just in pain because of the oppression of the foreign powers that be. And that's why Micah is a burning light for this Advent season because it doesn't just give a whole wonderful world of, you know, Christmas and gay happy greetings and all those kind of things. But it is a brimming light of showing us that there is hope and there is redemption in this world of bitterness and suffering. And that is only through Emmanuel. God with us, Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you as a church family just to continue to, to, to get in and relive the longing of the Advent, of the prophecies. The first Advent is the prophecies of the Old Testament in which the prediction of the Messiah would come, starting from the very pages of Genesis chapter 3 all the way into Exodus 22 and all the way into all the way into. Uh, into David's reign and Solomon and the Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah all the way up to Malachi. All those were predicting the advent of a Savior that would come. And then we also see the advent of the Messiah himself. The advent of Jesus Christ fulfilling all these uh, prophecies. The word advent actually means coming, right? It actually is Latin for coming or arrival. You can even translate it um, expectation. Um, but it's just the coming of what is to come, which was the promises that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then the Advent is also continues in the story of the Spirit of God coming in and coming into the hearts of believers to reside in them and to dwell. That Jesus was, or that the, that the Lord Himself was not content to dwell in the temple, but would live in the hearts of believers. And then it gives way to the the last Advent, the one that we are waiting for, uh, the the second coming of Christ. 
And so I want to encourage us as we come to Micah um, just to, to, to be able to relive what is, the Israelites had experienced and also for us that we would be stirred in affection for the coming of Jesus Christ and for his um, reign and his rule and that we can also enjoy that now and get a glimpse of that now as we explore this prophecy. Now let's take a look at uh, Micah chapter 5, uh, 2 through 4. And we're going to uh, take a look at through, uh, through this. And we see how God is going to speak through Micah and he's going to just completely overtake our expectations. He's going to completely just blow them out of the water. Um, because Micah was about a, showing a God who is just unlike every other um, God that the prophets at his time, other than Isaiah, was portraying. Every prophet was saying this, that there is a God who is a God of grace and a God of love, but not a God of justice and of uh, holiness, where, where Micah is just pinning and just poking a hole in the spiritual facade of the religiosity of Israel at the time. Uh, we know that Micah is a, uh, is a prophet. He was an authoritative prophet, was a contemporary of Isaiah. He preached through three uh, kings, uh, uh, three kings' reigns. Um, and, so, uh, and so he preached through Ahaz, which we know notably uh, led the, 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 the country into just spiritual decline and ultimately to Hezekiah, um, which also um, we see has a good ending later. Um, but we see Micah was a prophet who was born in the village of Moresheth. And uh, we see that also in the opening pages of Micah in which he was preaching a different message, a message in which was telling Israel to go and make sure that you stand before a God of justice and a God of uh, vengeance and justice and mercy. And he proclaimed that they would receive judgment for their sins. But in the latter parts, as we see, and if you ever walk through Micah, you're beginning to see a few messages of doom that are also bookended with um, prophecies of hope. And we'll see that, a little bit of that, in Micah chapter 5 and also Micah chapter 7, uh, too, as well. But we see Micah was, came onto the scene completely obliterating everyone's expectations. And um, as he comes into the scene now, he comes out of times which it was so unexpected. Look at verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of, of, uh, of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. You might be thinking, what in the world? I've never seen this on a Christmas card here. Uh, before this awesome prophecy, we have a battle cry from the prophet Micah and said, he said, muster up the troops. Have you ever thought about that? Why does that actually um, appear? Well, again, we do know, and I love Micah because it's such a burning light for this Advent season because it reminds us in that the, the situation, the cultural conditions that Micah was preaching in was not a happy time. This was at the very end of Hezekiah's reign in which they were literally going to be invaded by an Assyrian army that was bigger, you know, probably than the size of Katy and Jersey Village. Okay, Jersey Village is a little small because of Katy Village, uh, Jersey Village and um, Pearland uh, together. 
185,000 soldiers were standing literally at your doorstep. And as they were inching closer and closer because Israel had fallen into a spiritual decline and rebelliousness and wickedness. There was so much injustice going on that the priests had given up their job and have led over to corruption. They were like a, literally a spiritual smidgedoon um, of, of, of people that were, have traded their, their, their job to worship God and to lead their people into worshiping God um, and, and traded it for corruption, to feed themselves. And then also, it was a time in which the wealthy were also just going at the middle class and, and basically enslaving the middle class and taking away the land from the middle class and then just bringing them into dependence under the rich. And so the elite, the spiritually rich or the physically rich were, were taking advantage um, of, the, of the middle class. And that's why we typically see Micah as, a, as the, the prophet of the poor, but actually he was probably a middle class prophet. He was speaking to the very likes of probably straight down the middle of hope, you know, of where we're at right now, this moment. And so in this time, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. We see that this, this rod um, is a reference to Assyria. And they're saying, hey, muster up whatever uh, troops that you can because Assyria is going to come and they're going to strike the judge of Israel, which is in this case Hezekiah on the cheek. He's going to go through deep, deep humiliation. And as, and as, they're, uh, as they're going through this, Israel is bound to be taken out. I mean, this is literally their, their last song because the next day they're literally going to be taken out by this incredibly huge Assyrian army, and Israel was going to be promised to be shredded to smithereens. Think about your expectations there. If you were an Israelite, if you were in Jerusalem at that time, you would not have any expectations whatsoever. You would just say, come on, you know, Assyrians, their Assyrians are going to come. There's nothing going to happen. There's nothing going to change about this. There's, there's, there's no way that we're going to be saved. That's why I love God is a God who changes and reverses and blows away the expectations of his people. Because in the midst of this scene, of this harrowing scene where they're literally teeter-tottering on the edge of foreign invasion, of life as they know it, to be taken out, that's where this prophecy of the Messiah lands. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. In the midst of this season, God said, I am doing the unexpected, and I'm going to bring the Messiah from an unexpected place. Look at it with me. But you, O Bethlehem, Epathra. Bethlehem, as we know, was a town that was not very renowned other than the birthplace of David. There really was nothing that of size and significance that you can just say, hey, that's Bethlehem. You never want to put Bethlehem on a postcard. You never want to, you know, make it a very tourist destination. Bethlehem was just relatively insignificant in the eyes of the world. Bethlehem, house of bread, a prathra, which means fruitful. 
But you see, even in the address that Micah gave, he is hinting that, there's, that Bethlehem is so small, relatively insignificant, but from their insignificance will come something great. And that would be the Messiah. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. I love this. God always delights to just reverse expectations, doesn't he? Does he ever work the way that you want him to? <laughs> I don't think so. Otherwise, I don't think he would, you're, you're maybe, you know, that you're following the Lord because he always exists to change our expectations. And here we see that the, the king, the Messiah, did not come from Jerusalem, where you think the royal line come, would come from, the, the royalty would come from, that the military leader that this is kind of picturing, who's coming forth is from of old. But no, it comes from just a little itty-bitty town named Bethlehem. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? That just reminds us that God was not going to take what was relatively awesome and privileged and amazing in this world to accomplish his chief ends. But he's going to use the, the weak and the lowly and the foolish, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1.27, where, where Paul um, says this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He says, 1 Corinthians 1.27, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And it is in this case, as we look at the, the prophecy of Micah, is that God was already and working behind the scenes to be able to work among his great ends, to bring about his Messiah, uh, which even Jewish commentators, when they look at this verse, unanimously, almost unanimously say that this is about the Messiah and that, that this Messiah would come from insignificance, would come from littleness. It'll come from things. And look at this. From you shall come forth for me. We see that it does not, this Messiah is not going to be for his own good or for his own glory, but he's coming for God. One who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, this can be taken either divine origins in which this Messiah was a messianic uh, one that had div uh, divinity, or maybe this is coming more from the ancient of days referring to the fact that this is coming from David's kingly line. This Messiah would have royalty bursting through his veins. The Messiah did not come of noble birth, noble origins, but he came completely contrary to the expectations of that society and also came out at a time which nobody ever really wanted to hear it. What? You got the Assyrians at my doorstep? 
and you're telling me about this future king? Well, this is, this is what God is, does. And look with me, and he does further. In verse 3, he continues to reverse the, the, the expectations in verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Well, look at how else God reverses these expectations. He says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. See, the Messiah, he had given them hope, maybe a ray of hope, but immediately it's almost like he's just like, he's just cutting it down to size and he says, you know, oh, this Messiah, by the way, uh, this Messiah is not going to come in like a Marvel movie. Uh, this, this Messiah is not going to just come in and make its dashing appearance. This Messiah is going to come, but only after you suffer. Until after this time. After who? God shall give them up until the time. So this refers to the fact in the 7th century, that it refers to the fact that later on, about, a, uh, about um, later on in the late 6th century, less than 100 years later, Israel would be overtaken, and that would be by Sennacherib and the Babylonian army, and that they would basically sack Jerusalem, sack, destroy the temple, and then take it over, and Israel would be in exile for 70 years. And so what this is saying is that God is not a God who works on our timetables. He is a God who works on his own timetable, and this Messiah will come even after a long wait and even after a time of intense suffering and exile. This story deepens, and it almost leads us to, the, to more despair as we're continuing to look at this, because we're just saying, God, so when are you going to work? How long, God, are you going to, to wait until the Messiah comes? And literally God says, I'm going to wait, and you're going to be in exile for hundreds of years, literally six centuries until the time the Messiah was to be born. Until who, she, who is in labor has given, when she who is in labor has given birth. That can refer to Mary, the mother of Jesus. But most commentators would say that it's probably Israel as a whole, right, as labor has given birth. Because then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. It's talking about a time in which pictures a, a restored, unified Israel. Um, an Israel in which uh, would be united by this ruler, by this Messiah. In which there would be unity, that there would be togetherness. Lost tribes would come back together and be serving as one man under their king. And so what we see here is that this this idea of a Messiah that's going to come, and it's not going to happen based on our own pedigree, and it's not going to also happen on our own timetable, what we see here really grates against the rushed nature of our time, and even in this season of Advent. You know, we want things right away, as Burger King would say. We want our way right away. We want um, our Amazon shipments to, to get here in two days or less, otherwise we're squawking. We want to get through traffic and make sure that's not like it's not, we're not, not waiting in, in, in line forever. 
I was reminded of that that day a couple days ago, which I was actually sitting in probably the worst Houston traffic I've ever seen. And that, you know where I was? We were at the wrong place. It was Katie Mills. And we weren't shopping, <laughs> but we had taken a wrong turn. The kids had to go to the bathroom, and we had to go through the mall parking lot. Oh, big mistake. And um, we were stuck in there for so long, and the kids were just saying, this is the worst traffic ever. And, um, you know, I, I, I never want to go shopping. We were telling them, this is why you don't go out shopping on Black Friday. Um, and we just have this idea that everything is just going to happen our way, according to our timetable. But God's Messiah and Advent grates against that. But look at verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. What we see here is that the Messiah, or that their security, will lay not in their, themselves, but it's going to lay in the Messiah. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. What we see here is that this uh, Messiah, when he comes, he will come in the glory and the grace and the power of the strength of the Lord, meaning he will have all the authority. He'll be handed the dominion and the kingdom and the power, and it will be given to this king and this Messiah in the majesty of the name of the Lord um, his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This was against, again, what, what in Micah's time that they were focusing on themselves to deliver them. And if you read through uh, verses 5 and 6, um, it, it, it gives us a picture of not that they were trusting in the Lord, but actually a sense of their overconfidence and trusting in their own military prowess and, and, and their military actions to be able to deliver them. When the Syrians come into our lands and treads in our palaces, verse 5, then we'll raise against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. She'll deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. And Jesus, or that the word of God through Micah is basically saying, don't trust in your military purposes. Don't trust in this, anything of this world to deliver you. Trust in the Messiah. That Messiah will come. He will stand in the majesty of the name of his Lord. And that is when your people, you, the people of God, will stand secure. It'll be just like the dew, which rains down onto the ground. And we have no bearing on where that dew goes. But that's how God's ways and his, his, his ways and works will be. It'll just be like a lion that comes in and will just be released on sheep. And it'll be let loose to do whatever the lion wants to do to tear it to pieces. That's how God works. He is a God who cannot stand up to our expectations and a God who will not be contained to our expectations, but a God who's lifted up above our expectations and all of our desires and all of our uh, thoughts and ways. And he will be exalted above the whole earth. That's actually the name that's what Micah means, which we know it well. It means
means who is like the Lord, who is like Yahweh. That's why we named him, because we want him to be a reminder of the purposes of God. Do not fail. They are eternal, and they go beyond our own expectations. And so as we're coming to a close, as we are thinking through Advent, and as we're thinking through our relationship with Jesus, let us come before him and realize that God is not the God that we want. Not, God is not the God that we dream up. God is a God who is untamed. He is a God who exceeds and just blows up our expectations over the water. And he did that through the coming of the Messiah, which is the King of kings, and which we are still waiting for, we are longing for, we are desiring, we are longing and add that our hearts will be stirred with, with affections for Jesus because he is our King, and he is the coming King. And he's going to be the Lord of all who will fulfill all that Micah and all the prophets and all the scriptures have spoken in. So today, I just want us to come before him and come before him in this space and just to kind of ponder some things. First of all, is God working against your expectations? And have you been really faulting God for that? You know, that might be a good thing because when God doesn't work according to our, con- our expectations, maybe that's where God really wants to work in you. And yet, we don't want to just live unsurrendered lives in which we kind of go about our lives, go along the busyness of Christmas, go along the Christmas um, season, buy gifts and buy presents, and yet be unchanged and be unsurrendered. But let God change your expectations and let and surrender all that you are to our God who loves to just blow away our expectations. So I just want to stand and uh, I want to invite you to stand as our music team comes before um, us and as our prayer team comes forward. Let's just spend some time with the Lord um, tonight, Hope Family, just asking God to change um, our view on things. Maybe you're going through a trial and going through times of depression, depression that you never, and a darkness that you have never felt before. And just want to let you know that the people of Micah know and have struggled through that. The people of Israel have struggled through that, and yet Advent is here to remind us that God is Emmanuel, that he is with us. And for you just to long, not for just an answer, but just to long for his presence. We want to invite you to come forward and to pray. And so we want to invite anyone who just wants to receive prayer, guest or covenant member, uh, to come forward. We just ask that one man pray with one man and one woman pray with one woman. And uh, we just ask uh, that you just come, opening your heart to the God who loves to blow away our expectations. Father, we move in power in this time. I pray that you would continue to move, Lord, even in the suffering and the, the despair that we see in our lives or even outside. Lord, it's a reminder that all is not well that all is not redeemed. And yet, God, you are, there's coming a day in which the first advent, you've come. You've come to save people from their sins, but you are also coming again to redeem your own people, to redeem us from suffering, but also redeem us through suffering. And you're coming to reverse our expectations and to wow us on what an amazing and a great God you are. So, Father, I pray that you would do your work today. Father, move in us, Lord, who are dealing with missed expectations. 
Maybe things are not going quite according to plan. I pray that you would help us to be able to surrender that today. I even surrender that today to you, God. And I just say, God, do whatever you want to do. I am surrendered to you. Do whatever you want to do in Hope Church. Do whatever you want to do in my family. Do whatever you want to do in my job. Father, I just want to be used of you to make much of you in Houston. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray that your spirit would pour out over this time. And we pray that, Lord, your spirit would pour out over this body. And we pray that, Lord, you would just move in power um, as we continue to go through this Advent season, that we stir our affections, Jesus, for more of you. In Jesus' name.